This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And it is the day before, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are again. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-9222. Are you excited? How do you feel? Are you ready for this? Are you optimistic? Or do you think that maybe you need to temper your emotions and not be, well, quite so giddy without actual results? I'll tell you what, Princess Di sent me a long text today, and I, I love it. I haven't had a chance to answer it yet. I've been busy. But it's about, it, it concerns whether or not we have all seen this before, these kind of forecasts before. Usually, there are very few forecasts that are consistently saying there's going to be a red wave for so long. Now, we believe in results. Tomorrow could be a day that will live in FAMI. A lot of FAMI. It could be a really historic day. If you remember when Obama complained that he got shellacked, It was a total of over 700 seats from top to bottom, from the federal elections down to the local elections. That will be one of the figures, one of the figures that I will be looking for when all is said and done. And Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press girl, is saying, well, of course it might take a few weeks. I mean, yes, we might take a few weeks to come up with the results? I mean, we have mail-in ballots and the mail-in ballots on. Yeah, this is one of the things that I think Americans need to be unified in their opposition to. The fact that we can no longer expect elections to be over right after Election Day. This is the most technologically advanced nation in the world. And we're putting up with a system where supposedly we don't have enough people manning the booths or manning the polling stations. We don't have enough people counting the votes. Supposedly now, we're all just supposed to accept that in certain states, and they're the same states, and they just happen to be states that Democrats most often need to secure in order to maintain their power. In certain states, we're just supposed to put up with the fact that, oh, yeah, it's going to take a week or two to go through all. Because, you see, we don't even start opening up the mail until election night. 
It's a lot of nonsense, folks. We can do so much better than this. Mark Stein is key to point out that even in nations like Botswana, election day's over, election night, everybody knows the results. If we can't do that here in the United States, of course we could do it if we if we had the political will to do it, and if there were not an advantage that someone sees in not being able to do that. In fact, there's a story from Reuters today. How long will it take to know who won in U.S. midterm elections? The simple fact that we have to have this headline is something wrong. Here's some advice for anyone following Tuesday's U.S. midterm elections. Be ready for a long night and maybe days of waiting before it's clear whether Republicans or President Joe Biden's Democrats will control Congress. We should have to wait days. No, we shouldn't. Of representatives are up for grabs. That happens, of course, every two years, as are 35 United States Senate seats and 36 governorships. We'll be talking more about that. Well, there's a big article today about voting machines. That was also, it was a special report in Reuters. May not go into that in detail too much because John Fund is going to be with us this week. I'm going to speak with John Fund about these kind of things. Voting system firms battle the right-wing rage. The rage against machines from the right wing. Set that one aside. Talk about that with John Fund. And, of course, the ever-present U.S. governor's races carry high stakes for abortion elections. And at the same time, there were articles today wondering whether the messaging coming from the White House on abortion has been, has been good, whether it has worked in their favor, whether they should have less talked about the rights of a woman to have an abortion or talk about the economics of it all. They were already second-guessing before the election results even come in, even before Election Day is finished. In some places, by the way, this year, Republicans turned out dramatically for early voting. And I wonder what kind of impact that's going to have. Now, we'll tell you something we have coming up today on today's program. Uh, You might remember a few weeks ago, I read from an article that was in the Los Angeles Times, the Supreme Court will end affirmative action, what happens next, by Aaron Tang. Uh, Dr. Tang is a professor. He's a law professor. I don't know whether he's a doctor. I don't think he's a law professor at UC Davis. He's a former law clerk to Justice Sonia Sotomayor. And I found this really interesting. He's a former eighth grade U.S. history teacher at a charter school in Missouri. Well, he has agreed to join us today because I want to speak with him about this article. Affirmative action, one of the things that the court finally tossed out or it looks like it's going to. I shouldn't say they, they have not tossed it out. They haven't ruled yet. The case was heard, and based on the questions that came in and the attitude of the justices, many of us assume that affirmative action will be on its last legs when the court makes a ruling. It'll be done, finally. But Mr. Mr. Tangs has some really interesting ideas. I don't know whether he's a liberal or a conservative. I don't know whether it matters. His ideas are what I want to talk about. So he'll be joining us shortly. And, of course, your calls, 800 848 
Governor Hochul is still in denial. Have many of you seen what took place yesterday? Did you see the rally? Governor Hochul, one of her supporters, chokes a woman of color who was just trying to get her little protest sign back. Somehow or another, she got disengaged from her protest sign. The woman was trying to get her protest sign back. She was protesting high crime. A big white dude, Democrat, chokes this woman of color, puts his arms around her her throat and tries to choke her. He is choking her. He could have killed her. Of course, this it's it's a blip. It doesn't even I don't even see national news really covering it. it can you imagine if some white dude on the cam tra- on the campaign trail, let's say for Doug Yunkin, let's say for Ron DeSantis, even better. Decides he's going to choke a woman of color at one of at a DeSantis rally. What do you think the headlines would be? It would be plastered all over television. There would have already been an arrest made in the case. So far, I haven't yet to even hear that the police are looking into it. It's just like, oh, it happened. Yeah, some guy, some supporter of Kathy Hochul's chokes this black woman. Uh, she may be Hispanic, black Hispanic woman. Just chokes her. It's okay. It happens all the time. No big deal. Nothing to see here. Go about your business. This is what Kathy Hochul, who's out saying, she's still out here saying that it is a conspiracy theory put up by Republicans to make crime in all these blue cities an issue. She's still saying it, even as everyone pushes back on it. Even liberals are pushing back on her. Even liberals are saying, are you crazy? I'm afraid to go in the subways. Even her liberal buddies are pushing back on her. Liberal celebrities are saying, you're nuts. It's not safe out here. But she refuses to acknowledge the fact that New York is not a safe city and her role in it. That should, that should, look, liberals, I don't want to tell you how to vote. You people know you vote, you're going to vote, you're not going to. But seriously, how can you love New York and think that what is happening with the violence in New York is okay? That's my question for libs and Democrats. And you're welcome to call here, by the way. We always welcome the the voice that is different. If you think that what we're saying is wrong or you have a contrasting point of view, you will be treated with respect. You can give us a call. You can get your voice into. 800-848-WABC is that number to call. 800-848-9222. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. It's our Rush Hour. We're coming back right after this. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. 
This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin's got his QAnon sweatshirt on. No, that's Q something. Maybe, who is it? QAnon or? That would be my uh, alma mater, Quinnipiac University. Oh. Where most of the polls come from these days. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But right now, we are very privileged to have. Ay, ay, ay. Professor, law professor Aaron Tang from UC Davis. As I mentioned earlier, former law clerk to Justice Sonia Sotomayor and a former eighth grade teacher, U.S. history at a charter school in Missouri. Welcome, Professor. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. I read uh, your op-ed in the L.A. Times. I was prepared to have a knee-jerk reaction to it. And I found myself agreeing with a lot of the things that you said, frankly. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So so I wanted to talk with you about it. Um, I guess we're pretty much on, on the same page thinking that the ruling from the Supreme Court is going to end affirmative action as we know it. That seems to be the, at least what most people believe will happen. Yeah, right? that's my read on that's my read on what's going to happen. I agree with that. Okay, now you said the equity folks, who I tend to disagree with a lot, ought to just go big. Let's let's stop tinkering around the edges with this problem and go big. And that's caught my in, my my uh, interest. You said one of the things that should happen is that they ought to colleges ought to get rid of this legacy business, this legacy boost. They should mm-hmm. provide greater preference to applicants from low income backgrounds in light of the strong correlation between race and wealth. Can you explain what you think people ought to do here once affirmative action is ended, if it ends? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think there are two parts about the response. The going big part, actually, we didn't really touch on yet. The the going big part for me is trying to address the root cause of the problem to me. I mean, at the point at which you're giving preference to college applicants, you're already you're putting a Band-Aid on a bigger problem with inequality, which is inequality of educational opportunity, K-12 education in America for poor kids and kids of color. We have two, we have two different school systems in America, a school system that, you know, affluent folks, families can send their kids to nice public schools or private schools, and people without means, often people of color, but often, you know, white folks do, um, can't access that. So that's the big go big, and we can talk about that. But I agree that we should also – fixed admissions systems, higher education admission systems, because there are some things that schools do that are just uh, indefensible that, you know, you and I, even on different ends of the political spectrum, ought to be able to agree on. And one of these things is the preference that schools give to legacies, people whose parents happen to have gone to Harvard or UNC, which has no bearing on whether they, you know, the 17 or 18-year-old kid deserves to get there or not. So we should take that out of the out of the equation for sure. Well, going big. Why do why let's talk about going big. You you have introduced a concept called teacher choice. And can you that's one of the going big things that I absolutely yeah. fell in love with on first read. Ex, can you explain okay. to this audience what teacher choice is and why yeah, it's so necessary? You bet. Right? So the idea is we have this unequal public education system. And, you know, for a long time, progressives, liberals have been trying to fix it by, you know, doing things that are frankly really unpopular by 
forcing busing for, you know, suburban folks, white families to bus into inner city public schools um, that, um, you know, I, I think for understandable reasons, um, you know, affluent families may have bought a home and moved to a neighborhood with an expectation about the kind of schools their kids are going to go to. So it's really hard to try and disrupt that. So Teacher's Choice is the idea that says what really makes a school, makes an education meaningful for kids is the quality of the teacher in their classroom. Any parent knows if you have a good teacher in your child's classroom, they're learning. If you have a bad teacher, it's a, it's a, it's a struggle day in, day out. And so the problem, a huge part of the problem in America is that poor kids in general, especially kids of color, Latino and black kids, have access to way lower performing teachers for all sorts of reasons. You know, low, uh, uh, urban school districts often can't afford to pay as high salaries. Working conditions are harder. And so my suggestion is we ought to give a, a bonus. We ought to pay uh, $20,000 bonus. There's a study that used that number. It was very effective. Uh, giving choice, giving a choice to high-performing teachers if they want to, to leave the school district that they're in to go teach in a school that serves disadvantaged students. They can make this bonus year in, year out. Um, and when you take these teachers who are getting a year and a half worth of math reading games in a, in, a, in a single calendar year and you put them in school districts serving disadvantaged students, it's, you know, surprise. The poor kids and kids of color learn just as well as anybody else with great teachers. Um, so if we can level that kind of playing field through choice rather through, than through, you know, forcing parents to move their kids and doing things that are, you know, hard on them. But give, just giving choice to teachers. Teachers leave. They move every year. They retire. So parents, you know, shouldn't be as affected by that kind of a, a change. Um, that is a way to get strike at the sort of the root problem in inequality in, in our public education system. Well, there is another problem that I that was not addressed, and I'd just like to bring that up with you, but, and that's these the schools in some of these neighborhoods. Now, you, I, I'm not going to tell you any surprise because you taught, and so you know what goes on in the schools. You know the behavior problems that happen in cert, where it's culturally acceptable in some neighborhoods. Professor, I find it horribly upsetting that we accept the level of failure in schools. New York has had over school in our school districts in New York, there were over 240 some odd failing schools year after year after year, decade after decade. We accept this. This is just the way it is. And that's unacceptable. The fact that we accept the unacceptable is 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 a horrible thing that is that is that has that cycle has to be broken. I would also suggest to you, by the way, that when when you talked earlier about this idea of of the busing and all of that, it's also insulting to me to a lot of black families and and Hispanic families. Just like, oh, look, if you ship some white kids in, maybe the whiteness will rub off on the black kids and they'll learn. (laughs) I mean, this is ridiculous. You know, it's 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 insulting. But 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 there is a difference in parenting. And I don't know whether you've addressed that one or not, so let me just run this by you. Uh, I used to visit a friend of mine up in Mount Kisco when her kids were in school. On mm-hmm. open school night, they had to bring out the whole police force because traffic was so heavy. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you contrast that to what happens in these other neighborhoods, in many other neighborhoods. For instance, back when I was working with Rush Limbaugh, he cited something on the show that I've never forgotten. There was a citywide a parent-teacher meeting in Washington, D.C. It was even catered so because they figured the parents would come after after school. They wouldn't have time to get something to eat. They catered it. Long story short, more reporters showed up than parents. Mm-hmm. If parents don't give a damn about their own kids and their own kids' education, 
how are we going to make any real substantial change in the failing in in the number of kids that are failing in schools yeah so you know i i i don't disagree that of course children are influenced the amount that students learn is influenced hugely not just by what happens in school but what happens outside of school there's no question about that and there's no question that parental involvement and engagement and expectations have a, a huge role to play i will say that my own experience teaching at a charter school in inner city st louis that um, the parents were not the problem we had lots of active parents parents who you know work in two or three jobs and yet still finding ways to come in for conferences to talk on the phone with me ways that they can get their student uh their child engaged not true for everybody right so for some of those stories i also have the story of you know a memory of a student being like i was at the hotel at the casino at the indian reservation all weekend because my grandma was gambling the whole time so like i i get that but i i don't think White parents or affluent parents or suburban parents have a corner on good parenting. I think there are lots of great parents in low-income environments and urban neighborhoods. So I don't want to point the finger too much at the at them. What I, I do want to say is that it's not either way. However big the influence of parents is, it's not the kid's fault. Kids aren't going to be able to do anything. You have a, a first Amen. grader or second grader. Not their fault if their parents are deadbeat or a good parent, right? And they didn't do anything. They didn't earn it if their good parent is good. So we can only control, I think, in this country by policy what we can control. We can control our schools, but we're not going to be out there policing and telling parents how to, you know, interact with their child or what they're, you know, we're gonna, they're not going to pack up, pass a law saying there's a parent reading mandate, as great as it might be. We can't do that. We can only do what we can do inside the schools. And so because when, in my experience in teaching, the biggest thing that changes how much students learn is the teacher in front of the classroom. And you could take a kid who's in a, in a classroom and their teacher is doing nothing, and that kid can be a behavior problem you talked about, right? But you put that kid in the same – you know, in the, with other kids from the same classroom, and suddenly you put a different teacher in that room. I saw this with my own eyes. I remember Miss Hill, the social – I'm sorry, the, uh, the English teacher in seventh grade. It, she was a miracle worker. You put these kids who are like getting in fights and everything, and in her classroom, they were locked in. They were sitting. They're quiet. They're paying attention. They were learning, and it's because of the teacher. We just need more Miss Hillses, and that's, I think, something we all ought to be able to aspire for. I would like to uh, – We time is up for today, but I want to stay in touch with you. I want to um, – you know, I've, I had an interesting talk with uh, the ex-governor uh, uh, Patterson here at WABC, and he's another one. It sounds like you. sounds like me. Look – I don't understand why this is not the number one issue in America, period. We are failing too many children and consigning them to a life of unproductive, unproductivity where they will never be able to compete and gain access to the American dream. If we are going to do a, have a fundamental change in the culture of America, it has to start in the schools. Yes, sir. Amen. <laughs> Professor, thank you. We'll be in touch because I want to. I want to have you back when we have more time, and okay. uh, let's flesh this through. And I, I would like to see what can actually happen, not just talk. How do we make this a reality? How do we get this going and get energy behind this so that we can actually? I love your idea. I fell in love with it. Teacher choice. It's a great idea. We need to work to make it happen. All right. Thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it. That's Professor. Yes. Professor Aaron Tang, and by the way, as he said, we're on different sides of the political aisle, but he was willing to come on. I love Thank you. I appreciate that. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly, back with you, WABC, right after this.
This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Bump it, baby. Rock the house. Rick Ashley. The culmination of a year's campaigning tomorrow when voters in mass visit their polling places and there will be plenty of people watching the polls this year. And that's going to be a huge uh, discussion as we go forward in America. You know, there are all kind of lawsuits this year and all sorts of warnings about people that are watching the polls, taking pictures of people coming in. The election workers supposedly are terrified because they feel like they're being stalked. And the left has been reporting on this with caution, with not with caution. They have been trying to scare people into believing that it's just a bunch of right-wing crazies out here that are watching people. What do you expect? You tell people that they are nuts and they're kooks because they don't have faith in the election system where in the middle of the night votes, voting counts on TV are suddenly stopped at 1, 2 in the morning, and when they resume, everything starts swinging in different ways in some cases than what they had been watching. And you expect people to just sit home and say, okay, that's just the breaks. People see these sort of things happen, they wonder, well, are these elections safe? Are they, are they, are they, is someone cheating? That's what they want to know. And so now people are out at the polls looking for themselves. What do you expect? You call them election deniers. You, you say that these people are stupid, that they're rubes, that they're a bunch of hicks, and that they should just have complete faith in a system when everything in the system appears to be in the larger system, moving away from elections, when you see an FBI that is compromised, that tries to take out a president of the United States with phony stories about Russian collusion, well, do you think that that same party, can you trust that same party to give you the truth when they run the election apparatus? What do you expect people to do? Now, I don't like some of this stuff. I'm going to be real frank with you. I don't like people showing up around polling places with guns and stuff. I I think that's that's not what America should be about. But at the same time, I don't like the fact that in far too many circumstances, look, I I know, and I have to be really careful here because I'm telling you from personal anecdotal evidence from people that have worked inside some of the operations in deep blue states, some of the things that they have reported to me that have gone on in there that look and appear to be suspicious. Okay? So people do need to have confidence in elections. There are a lot of people, including former President Trump, who want paper ballots. I, we have the most technologically advanced society on the face of the earth. There are so many ways that we could ensure safe elections. We have biometrics that can be used. We have, look, when I get on a plane, 
I sign up for this thing called Clear. If you're familiar with it, you know you you pay a bunch of money. They take your 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 prints off of two of your fingers and and then they scan your retina and they have your your you so you go in now you put your face up to the machine it's you they walk you to the head of the line and even if you're TSA pre-checked and you go it's it's, it's efficient we have the technology to make sure that people are who they say they are and that they that they are not someone else we have the technology to have safe and secure elections in this country. What we don't have is the political will to insist on safe, secure elections where every person's vote counted. I am not a person that wants to see people's votes tossed away. Now, there's an article in the Amazon Prime Washington Post today. Republicans sue to disqualify thousands of mail ballots in swing states. You Look at the headline. Oh, no, these awful Republicans. Here they are again, if you believe the, the left's line, trying to suppress votes, partisan voter suppression. And then when you read the article, it turns out that what these Republicans are doing is actually asking for the law that is on the books to be enforced. In Pennsylvania, the state Supreme Court has agreed with Republican National Committee that election officials should not count ballots on which the voter neglected to put a date on the outer envelope. Thousands of ballots in Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania is going to be a close state, have already been set aside because of this. In Michigan, Christina Carmona, or Caramo, I'm sorry, the Republican nominee for Secretary of State has sued the top election official in Detroit last month. She wants to toss absentee ballots, not cast in person, with an ID, even though that runs contrary to state requirements. When asked in a recent court hearing, her lawyer declined to say why her suit only targets Detroit. Really? a heavy Democratic majority black city and not the entire state? Well, that's a legitimate question. Over the past two years, in Wisconsin, by the way, Republicans won a court ruling that will prevent some mail ballots from being counted when the required witness's address is not complete. Well, those are the rules. You have to put in a complete address. If you don't put in a complete address, then it shouldn't count. That is not suppression. That is following the law. So in the instances where Republicans are demanding that mail ballots have to meet the requirements of the law, I don't see a problem with that. But the Washington Post does, apparently. It is not suppression to ask, especially with the, look, why is it that Democrats are insisting so much on turning United States over elections to the mail instead of people showing up in person. Why? There's a reason. Why are we being told that it will take maybe, well, let's just, by, by the, the, the White House press girl, that it's going to take longer, maybe a week, to count the votes? This is America. We should not have to put up with that. Now, as for 
the elections themselves, we've got some interesting things that could happen. New York could play a crucial role. The House needs five votes to flip. There are some counties going on in New York right now that are touch and go that the Democrats won that could be flipped. New York itself, if everything were to go in a direction that it could go in, could be the determining state to flip the House almost immediately. And that's a surprise. My own take is that you're going to see, and I'm going to talk about this with Princess Di later, you're going to see, I think, anywhere upwards of 27 to 34 House seats change. I think. I think we could see a Senate that's plus four Republican. The governor's races are going to be incredibly, some of them incredibly tight, but that could certainly make it a very, very bad night for Democrats. And I'll tell you what, the Senate, the Senate, there could be surprises. There are some areas where the Democrats are throwing money in, like Washington State, that usually they don't have to. And if Washington State goes, we'll find that by the end of the night. If Washington State goes and the mom in tennis shoes, Patty Murray's tossed out, that means the Democrats have had one of the worst election nights in history. Promise you that. James Golden, A.K. Snurley, lots of people want to weigh in. We're going to take your calls when we get back, and we will be right back on both Snurley's Rush Hour. Don't go away. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Rich Rod of Bally does it again. Mr. Big Stuff on WABC Talk Radio 77. Let's head to the telephones. We're going to go rapid phones, but a quick reminder first. Catch at Night comes up next, and keep it here all day, all night long on WABC. You get the WABC app. We stream worldwide. Also, if you want to check out the Daily BS, I do a twice-a-day email blast with news and headlines that you will not get in any other news stories with a, you know, uh, kind of not, it's not a spin, but it's a unique view of looking at the news. The Daily BS, just go to jamesgolden.com or com, S-N-E-R-D-L-E-Y, and you can get the Daily BS twice a day in your email box. Okay, let's go to Comac. Mike, how are you, Mike? Thank you for waiting. Well, uh, in regard to what you mentioned before about a big white guy trying to take the protest sign from a woman of color. (laughs) He choked her. Why couldn't that just be... A man 
taking a protest sign from a woman. Because that's not the way Democrats play it. And my aim was to show the inconsistencies in the press. You know if this had been a Republican white guy and he took a sign from a Democrat woman of color, it would be nationwide. There would be calls for the governor to resign if it were a Republican governor. He would already be in jail on assault charges. But because it's a Republican woman who happens to be a person of color being attacked, nothing. You get crickets from the press. So my point was to point hypocrisy, the obvious hypocrisy in the story, nothing more. Outside of that, you're absolutely right, a man and a woman. And I agree with that, except for the hypocrisy that the Democrats get away with with their mainstream media allies. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Lou in Queens, how are you? Thank you for waiting. Thank you for calling, Lou. How are you? James Golden, thank you so much. Uh, We've talked one or two times before. I agree. I hope we don't have to uh, keep our hopes too high about New York. Uh, I have mixed feelings on whether we're going to do it or not. But I want to bring up something about the economy. You know, the Fed can stand on its head with interest rates. The big problem has always been energy. And this administration has not granted federal leasing gas and oil rights for our companies to drill. And let me tell you something, that is going back to Truman's time. Thank you. And let me tell you something else. Joe Biden, to your point, yesterday said to a climate protester, stop the drilling. And this this is the most anti-energy administration that we have seen. And the results are we're all paying a higher price for energy because of their policies. Thank you for the call. Andy. In Long Island. How are you, Andy? Actually, it's Danny from Long Island, Bo. How you doing, pal? Good, Danny. What's Three on your mind? Uh, mm-hmm. One, I agree with you completely. This this extended voting is ridiculous. When I was supervising the polling in the Bronx, I watched a, a bus full of homeless men vote at two separate locations. Can you imagine the level of corruption you can have when there's 30 days or 15 days of voting. These people could have been dri- driven all over the state and voted hundreds of times. You have to have one day of voting with, with no and no mail-ins. It's a, it's a complete joke. My son has an absentee ballot because he's at college. I get a text message from the Democratic Party in Nassau County asking me if he had returned his ballot yet. Huh. Andy, thank you. Appreciate the call so much. Joe in Long Island. How are you, Joe? Good. I just wanted to say... For all the voters who still haven't made up their minds yet, just look at the Republican midterm campaign message and contrast it with the Democrat midterm campaign message. The Republican midterm campaign message is to lower taxes, fight inflation, secure the border, keep dangerous criminals locked up, and make schools educate rather than indoctrinate students. The Democrats' midterm campaign message is to send Joe Biden to give speeches telling people that if they don't vote for Democrats, they're a threat to democracy. Thank you. Well stated, my friend. Uh, Tony, you have, nope, we have to go because we're out of time, sadly. Ladies and gentlemen, we will be back tomorrow on Election Day, and I'm going to do so much to try to keep you up to date on where things are headed. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. Get out there. Vote. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you all. Bye.
This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.